How was GeeklyCon? It was very good, but travel sucked a lot. Uh, any particular reason why or anything out of the normal? We, tra- we ended up traveling for like travel time was 60 hours, over 60 hours. What the fuck? Yes. And we had like. Is that both ways or was that yeah, one both, way? That's both ways. It's a but long time. still a long time. Yes. Is that because uh, you were out in the middle of nowhere in New York or what? Yeah, there's just no direct flights. We were flying American, and we we ended up taking four legs both ways. So, Jesus Christ. yeah, it wasn't great. And was that planned, or no, did that that was, that was due to rerouting and changes that had to be made due to delays, due to mechanical issues, due to mechanical issues and weather. Oh, good God. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Because like, you know, yeah, because we had mechanical issues both ways. And the the thing was that because of the weather, but also because airlines are greedy, shithole shit companies, you couldn't book again. Once yeah. you had a mechanical failure, you were fucked. Like entire planes fucked. And it's like, well, great. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's rough. That is rough. I think something similar happened to us. I feel like on the way back from Europe. And I couldn't believe it because it was like both both times, both times of the mechanical failure, we got on the plane and they had to unload us. And it was like, wow, what the hell is going on, guys? I'm not sure how that happens. I mean, I guess they don't do well because they don't have the time. Because they double stack everything, they make everything extremely fast turnover, and so of course they're doing like all the checks or whatever while we're loading. Then they're like, then we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there. Then like, eh, we're checking on some stuff. Be patient. Still checking. Oh my uh, god. We're sending for a mechanic in. We we assumed San Jose or San Francisco to come because there wasn't a mechanic in Monterey. <laughs> okay. Dude, I hate the two things I hate in those situations are like some I've had captains get on the speaker and they'll say like something sarcastic or goofy. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I don't need you making <laughs> jokes right now. And the other thing I hate is when you go, you have to go and get this figured out. Right. And everyone gets off the yeah. plane. And everybody's in line together. Yep. Yep. And there's always, always people in front of you and people behind you who are like, you know, well, I'll, this is going to screw up my whole travel <laughs> plans. I have to be at XYZ <sighs> by XYZ time. And you're like, dude, that's everyone here. Yeah, um, we yes. were all in the same plane. <laughs> we're all having the same first world problems here. Yep. Um, but Matthew and I decided both times, both mechanical issues, failures, um, we would just use the phone, which is not as, not as, I mean, it's obviously not as ideal as talking to someone, but you don't have to wait in line. Yeah. And, um, and of course, both times American had to call us back, but at least they had that in place and we weren't sitting on hold. Yeah. I would probably do both just yeah. to like whoever can resolve this first. Cause that's how impatient I am. <laughs> We did get a hotel in Phoenix and twelve dollar vouchers for dinner. <laughs> That's what we got. What do you buy with twelve dollars? Uh, we uh, combined the power of our two vouchers to buy a thirty-two dollar uh, triple seafood thing. I don't know. <laughs> it didn't cover the whole thing, obviously, because twelve dollars would not cover a single meal. Um, let alone an appetizer at this place, but you know, it made it a slightly more reasonable meal, so I was fine. And also, this we makes didn't me have to, want like, to brush up on what my rights yeah, are as a right. passenger because the alternative was on the way there, we ended up getting converted to a red eye and being in the Dallas airport at 2 30 a.m. So that's a fun one. Ugh. That's no one wants to be in Dallas at 2.30 a.m. Nope. I mean, the people who live there. No. There's a 7-Eleven that's open at the airport. That's it. It's pretty. That's kind of lucky. I've been at airports where like. Nothing. Yeah, you have nothing. 
And you're just like, well, this blows. Can we get like a bottle of water? But that probably has nothing to do with our topic today. Well, time. Time will be the theme, I suppose. Ooh, interesting. Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, here with my in-house historian on all things Middle Ages, Molly. Ooh, exciting. I wish I was. Well, actually, I don't wish I was, but it would be an interesting topic to be an expert on, I suppose. Well, if you're playing a drinking game at home, let's see how many times Molly brings up Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, that probably is going to happen a lot. I feel like it has nothing to do with Game of Thrones, but I feel like you're going to draw a connection. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you've heard, like, George R. R. Martin drew heavily from the War of the Roses. And today's topic is, tell me if you've heard of this, phantom time hypothesis. Never. Not a single peep. During the early Middle Ages, not a lot seems to be historically recorded. And we'll talk more about this time, but... Because there seems to be little archaeological evidence between the years of 600 to 900 CE and very little evidence of new literature and technological advancements, this has been a time referred to as the Dark Ages. Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And the biggest blame has been on a cultural decline throughout Europe following the fall of the Roman Empire. Right. That does make sense. So this seemed to inspire a German historian, Herbert Illig, to believe that the year is actually 1720. Like during the Middle or the Dark Ages? Well, he's going to say that the Gregorian calendar is a lie, and a chunk of the Middle Ages was just completely made up. Wow, that's um, that's a that's that's a lot. <laughs> so he claims to have evidence to support his case, and in 1991 he published his theory and called it the Phantom Time Hypothesis. Oh, 1991. I get it now. Well, wait, what do you get? Well, because I thought at first I thought for some reason, I thought that you were saying that he was in the Dark Ages thinking that it was 1720. No, 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 no. He's saying 300 years never happened. Yes. So we're all in. Yes, I get it. I get. Yes. For some reason, I thought, like, yeah, he was back in time and he was. No, thinking- he's not time traveling. <laughs> <laughs> he's just saying time never happened, which is why it's a phantom time. Yes, phantom time. Part of what encouraged him to kind of come up with this was that there was an archaeological conference in 1986 that discussed how the Roman church had a practice of foraging documents in the Middle Ages and predating them by 100 years. Interesting. And so one of these cases that's famous, I guess, is the donation of Constantine and Latin Donatio Constantini and Constitutum Constantini. Uh, It's the... Best known and most important forgery of the Middle Ages. It's a document purporting the record, the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great's bestowal of a vast territory and spiritual and temporal power on Pope Sylvester I, who reigned between 314 to 335 and his successors. So I'll kind of talk a little bit about what this is, because I thought this was kind of interesting enough, too. 
Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Include our little thing. So based on legends that date back to the fifth century, the donation was composed by an unknown writer in the eighth century. Um, during its time, it had only limited impact, but it would have great influence on political and religious affairs in medieval Europe until it was clearly demonstrated to be a forgery by Lorenzo Valla in the 15th century. So the origins of the donation of Constantine are bound up in political transformation that took place on the Italian peninsula in the mid-8th century. Even though the exact date of its composition remains uncertain, the estimates range between 750 to 800. The document had been associated with the coronations of Pippin in 754 and Charlemagne in 800. We'll talk more about Charlemagne in a bit as well as papal efforts to secure independence from the Byzantine Empire or to undermine the Byzantine terial claims in Italy. So all of this kind of actually ties back to the Phantom Time, but we'll talk about that in a bit. The consensus view is that the donation was written in the 750s or 760s by a cleric of the Lateran in Rome, possibly with the knowledge of Pope Stephen II or third because of the dates. The donation is based on the Legenda S. Silvestri. So that's Latin for the legend of St. Sylvester, a fifth century account of the relationship between Pope Sylvester I and the Emperor Constantine. It begins with the tale of conversions of Constantine to Christianity after Sylvester I miraculously cured him of leprosy. Constantine then declares the importance of Rome to the church because it's the city of the apostles Peter and Paul. The second section of forgery contains the actual donation. Constantine, in preparing to depart his new capital of Constantinople, bestows upon the Pope supremacy, oversees Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople, Jerusalem, and the world's, all the world's churches. He grants administrative rights to Sylvester and his successors over the estates and granted to churches throughout the empire. More, most importantly, Constantine gives the Pope control of the imperial palace in Rome and all the regions of Western empire. This effectively conveys the notion that the Pope has the right to appoint secular rulers in the West. So we can see how the Catholic Church really... This really kind of helped the Catholic Church yeah. become the Catholic Church. This yeah, is the that's... like Catholic Church origin story yeah villain origin story right mm, yeah the earliest um extant manuscript of the donation from the ninth century was inserted into the collection known as false decretals i don't know what that means i'm too dumb i did not study anything of worth <laughs> in college despite the document's obvious value to the papacy no mention of it was made in the ninth or tenth centuries even during controversies with Constantinople over the matters of primacy. So it seems that, yeah, it seems like the church was already gaining a lot of power. And this just kind of like became a thing they later referenced. Right, right. Are, aren't they kind of saying that like, like my guess would be that that's the reason they know it's a forgery because the church would have brought it up if it were real. Oh, yeah. And, and doubts about the document were vo voiced about the year 1000 from Otto III and his supporters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In 1440, Lorenzo Valla showed the Latin use and the document was not of that of ah, the 4th century. Yeah, so that that's makes... how we figure out that, oh, this is all a lie. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, nice try, church. Nice try. And so using this, yeah, you really stuck it to him, Molly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> using this sort of information, and I'm sure there's other forages. This was just like the biggest one I found that sure, was yeah. interesting and kind of historically ties back to everything that we're talking about. Illig claims that this conspiracy also changed the dating system by the three rulers. So he claims that Pope Sylvester II, the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, and the Byzantine Emperor Constant 
the 7th all got together and changed the calendar <laughs> to make it seem as if Otto had begun his reign in the millennial year of 1000 AD rather than 996. Can I, I I'm going to insert something in here. Um, unrelated, but related. I recently found out that there was a study in 2023 that shows that angry people are more susceptible to conspiracy theory. And the writers of the paper kind of argue that, or they don't argue this, but they imply like, well, that's why so many people have a vested interest in keeping you angry. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I think it's hard to measure. I'm sure you're right. I would have to read the entire paper, but I did think it was very interesting. Like, I mean, I'm curious how they measured, like, anger. Oh, these people are angrier than the average person. Although, yeah. well, conspiracy theories are very popular and everybody's a little bit angry. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I follow uh, the anger professor just for fun because he's like a. That's his name? Know, no, like, no, he, like his his social media persona. So he talks about anger a lot. And that's what he studies at his professorial job. <laughs> um, but gosh, that's one wild conspiracy, though, because that's like three of the leaders of the world getting together to conspire. That's what yeah. this guy is saying. <laughs> yeah. And if you think about the larger scope of it, yeah, uh, I don't know if it holds up, but we'll get to there. Yes, we will. Say too oh, much, but let me um get this guy. just in case any of our listeners are dealing with angry people in their lives. This like I don't, but his information is just so good that I think anyone who is dealing with it. Ah, his name's Ryan Martin. And is this the angry professor? The angry professor. Um, no, the anger professor. He is at Anger Professor on Instagram, um, but he's also he has a Angry TED Professor talk. sounds cooler, but I wonder if it's yeah. already taken. Probably, and also on TikTok at Anger Professor. So if anyone if anyone's looking for anger issue information, follow him. Go on, Bridget. <laughs> so the reason they think they changed it the year this time was that one thousand sounded a lot more meaningful than nine hundred ninety six. Because yeah, I guess, but it's not more epic to I, have a Anno Domini or the Year of the Lord, yeah. the Millennium. You know, I guess it's kind of like people who, well, like I'm trying to think of like songs or books that reference like the year 2000. Oh yeah, We're gonna like party that like might be a year's right. 1999. Yeah. So, like, I, I guess somewhat, I can see that. Yeah, and it. Seems like it'd probably be like a thousand years is probably is probably seems like a bigger effing deal than right. two thousand years. Like yeah, at this because point, I, we're like we I, get it. It's another year. yeah. It's another two yeah. One thousand would have been more more gravitas. People were dying younger. You know, they're like oh yeah. Whoa. Somehow we kept this calendar. Humanity, going. yeah, for a thousand years, that is a pretty big deal. Illig further claims that the trio altered existing documents and created fraudulent historical events and people in order to back themselves up. Oh my. Searching for proof of the church meddling with time, Illig focused on Pope Greg VIII's introduction of the Gregorian calendar in 1582, which is still the main calendar used to conduct business throughout the world. The problem with the Julian calendar is that it had been used since Roman times and it is it had overestimated the length of an average year by 11 minutes. Oh! So while that doesn't sound like much, it would yeah. have added to a drift of 13 days between Roman times and the year 1582. Yeah, but how I, now I'm super curious of, as to how someone in 1582 could have figured out that they were in 1582. Yeah, there's a lot to this that I'm still not exactly sure how all of this actually pieces together right it feels like That's... a lot of red yarn but i'm not yes exactly sure how it all equates to 300 years like so he's saying that because of this time difference of 13 days that pope gregory only 
adjust it by 10 days. And then he cited oh. this as proof the church had been aware that it had fabricated a 297 year stretch of time between the years 614 and 911, during which the Julian calendar would have knocked off course an additional three days. So it's like, this is like a lot of <laughs> strange justifications. Yes, truly. I'm almost surprised. So, no, never. never. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> doing this for too long. Oh, geez. Wow. He claims that the whole Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne was, in fact, not a real ruler, but simply a King Arthur type of legend. Do you know who Charlemagne is? I thought, I kind of thought he was a legend, actually. I could see that, but uh, I believe he does historically exist. I know I had heard the name, but I was like, what the fuck are we talking about? Because a lot of articles I read kept saying like, and so then he claims Charlemagne didn't exist. Can you believe it? It's like, <laughs> I don't know who the fuck yeah, Charlemagne is. Yeah. Let me tell you. Charlemagne was also called Charles the First or Charles the Great. And they think he was born around April 2nd, 747. And he died around January 28th, 814. He lived in what is now known as Germany, and he was the king of the Franks, the king of the Lombards, and the first emperor of the Romans, um, and what was later called the Holy Roman Empire. Well, you know, now that I think about it, it feels pretty similar to any sort of like, like back to the last episode last week, like with the Chinese medicine practitioners. Like, they really existed, but their stories were legendized. Le yeah. You know? And, like, Jesus, like, he really existed, but his stories were stories, right? So it's Yeah, all... I think historically, I mean, like, you know, you take an art class and you talk a lot about allegory. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, there's a lot of creative ways that people kind of wrote their depictions of these rulers and these historical figures that like today we're like, there's no way this guy could like fly or walk on water right. or heal leprosy. But that doesn't mean that he didn't exist as a person on the earth. <laughs> and in a way it's like saying this person was like so awesome mm -hmm. or we admire him so much. He probably could have done these. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a lot is known about Charlemagne's youth, but it suggests that he received practical training for leadership by participating in political, social, and military activities associated with his father's court. His early years were marked by a succession of events that had immense implications for the Frankish position in the contemporary world. In 751, with papal approval, Pippin seized the Frankish throne from the last Moravian king, I'm not even going to try to say this guy's name. After meeting with Pope Stephen II at the Royal Palace, Pippin forged an alliance with the Pope by committing himself to protect Rome in return for papal sanction for the right of Pippin's dynasty to the Frankish throne. Pippin intervened. And Pippin, I believe, is his father. Wait, can I look something up real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so then when his dad died, the realm was divided according to Frankish custom between Charlemagne and his brother, Carloman. And so this actually immediately created a rivalry between the two brothers. Okay, yeah, I had no idea that Charlotte, well, I mean, I just, you know, who knew this, that his father's name was Pippin, but it is, it was Pippin III. <laughs> the name we need to bring back. Yes, why, why aren't more people named Pippin? Didn't somebody write a novel called Pippin? Yeah, actually, I think you're right now that you say that. Well, so some people are named Pippin. Scotty Pippin, that's the last name. But then his brother died pretty soon after that. So that kind of ended the mounting crisis. But when there was that rivalry, Charlemagne created an alliance with the King of Lombards. So that's kind of like how he built himself up. You know, he had the Franks, the Lombards, then his brother dies. So... He's kind of becoming a big deal. He had a large family, five wives in sequence, several concubines, and at least 18 children. Who's wow. 
interests he watched over carefully. He kind of became like this big deal. And I'll talk more at the end about some of his other accomplishments. But Illig explains that through all of this tampering and forgery, then extra 297 years were added to history. Therefore, our pal Charlemagne never existed. <laughs> and neither did other historical figures like Alfred the Great, which I don't even know who the fuck that is, but he was great. He was great. And according to Illig, Catholic historians invented all these characters in order to pad out history. Pad out history. And those two historians. Two emperors to flatter themselves by claiming to have ruled during the year 1000. This there's this is way too much change yes, for yes, something so small. It's true. Other evidence that these three centuries were fabricated out of thin air seemed to be that no buildings were constructed in Constantinople during this time period. No substantial evolution in the church doctrine regarding articles of faith such as purgatory. He says it was an inadequate system of dating medieval artifacts as well as an over-reliance on written history are to blame for why, I guess, we're confused about the years. And according to his research, the years between 614 and 9-11 don't add up. The years prior to 614 were full of historically significant events, as were the years after 9-11. And he claims... But the ones in between just seem unusually dull. I'll write something down to bring up later. Oh, yeah. Please do. He also claims that Roman architecture in the 10th century Western Europe is too modern for the time period which it was supposedly built. And even though it seems really far-fetched and you and I are having trouble grasping it, he does have supporters. And this is including Dr. Hans Ulrich. Nimitz, who published a paper in 1995 titled did the early middle ages really exist which he also claims they did not uh, between so this is something i think he wrote between antiquity which is 1 a.d and the renaissance 1500 a.d historians count approximately 300 years too many in their chronology in other words, the Roman Emperor Augustus really lived 1,700 years ago instead of the conventionally assumed 2,000 years. Some of uh, this Dr. Hans's claims echoed illigs, such as the discrepancies between the Julian and the Gregorian calendars and the lack of historical sources. Though he, he did admit that a counterargument could exist as that the Byzantine and Islamic regions were at war during the period, which was well documented. Ha! Ha! And oh, almost like white people don't have a, a stranglehold on history. Almost like there are things going on in the world besides in white people's lives. It's it's fucked up. I, I agree, Molly. Um <laughs> And I, we also have Chinese history, which mentions astronomical events such as Halley's Comet and eclipses that coincide perfectly with the idea that the year 614 and the 9-11 <laughs> actually did occur. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Oh, man. White people. White people. These are Am white I people right? problems. <laughs> no, but also I, I have this feeling that the early 90s were a very good breeding ground for this kind of like you know why people were doing too good yeah yeah and they're just like let's fuck shit up i mean they were homophobic as hell but they were starting to like the gays you know and oh yeah a lot of uh fdr's stuff was like really giving people too much power i mean as terrible as this sounds because it is terrible like don't Ask, Don't Tell was actually a progressive -er policy. Whoa. Whoa. Molly, you're starting to sound like one of them. No, but I'm just saying, like, for the time... Never mind. Just cut that. <laughs> I might leave it in just for the laugh. God damn it. The idea that the Dark Ages are dark isn't necessarily true. So no. that's what I'm going to end on, is telling you some of the things... That happened during the Dark Ages. But 
before I do that, what was your question or what did you oh, write down? Yes. So my, it's just more like a general thought about the dark ages because like what it reminds me of, like pretty much immediately when you said it was like, oh, this just sounds like a period of time when humans were dumb, you know, like they just. Okay. So that's also a misperceived okay. thing. I mean, that's when the things that kind of gets carried out because um, I think I need to write it down. Excellent. You, you are probably going to go into that a little now because, well, so it seems yeah, like right. kind of like, I'm trying to draw parallels to today's time and like, Oh, good we God. Are, we're so good at like tearing ourselves down as we yeah. can all very well see. It seems like we are regressing, but it, it almost seems like if we were to look back on this point in history in like 300 years, could we say like, could someone say, oh, that period of time didn't exist because we didn't move forward in a lot of ways. Though, I mean, obviously there were lots of ways we are moving forward, but. Yeah, there's, I think you could draw similarities. I definitely thought about that. Part of the reason the dark ages became known as the dark ages was because of a scholar Petrick, who viewed ancient Greece and Rome as the pinnacle of human achievement. And the, the, also the literacy rate was not as high as it was say in ancient Rome. So you have like this scholar just basically calling it the, the dark sure. ages and basically saying like, see nothing great is happening, but that's because he's a Roman file. Yes. Well, and when I said they're dumb, I that was probably too harsh. What I really meant was more like they were f like probably like I'm sure that lots of people were happy during this period of time because I don't know. Well, okay, you could be dumb and happy first off. Well, sure, sure. But like and no second off, I I kind of it I had a lot of thoughts like researching mm. this, which mm -hmm. is like people probably were dumber. And it probably actually did suck. Like, think about now how, like, I don't know. I feel like people don't really, like, read real materials now. They mostly watch a lot of videos, myself included. And it's all, it's very pop culture, technology focused. So, and people don't have the intelligence to really understand what's going on. So they create, like, all these, like, weird theories and speculations yes, that, and, that's yes that's where i was yeah that's but at the same time there are like achievements happening like yes yes you're right so it's it's like a strange you can't really generalize it but same time like yeah there are a lot of dummies <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean that's actually that was the first point i was going to make is ah. that the idea of the dark ages came from later scholars who were heavily biased towards ancient rome Right. Yep. That makes sense. So that was actually a good start to why the dark ages weren't that dark. Um, another thing that happened is that the church replaced the Roman empire as the most powerful force in Europe. And this redefined the relationship between church and state, which we kind of already talked about with Charlemagne. The other interesting point of that too, is that the church would actually discourage reading because right. if you could read the Bible, what do you need the church for? Right. Yeah, I would imagine part of the Dark Ages is due to the church's influence. Which is like right now with all these like yeah, yeah. satanic panic has created a second Dark Ages. The uh, only reason people know we existed is because the internet. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's too hard. Like back then it was much easier to control the flow of information. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point. It was... Yeah. Well, and then you also had, because of the church and Charlemagne forging this relationship, you then have other kings and queens and rulers who are going to the church to solidify their own power. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of like a circle jerk here. Yeah. Yeah, I would love, this is way too late to be saying this, but I never took a history class on the period of... 600 to 1,000. I could even expand I might it probably have, far. But oh, I really? think I slept through a lot of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely did not. Yeah, 
I think my history was extremely spotty. So I, I will admit to that. Several his art history courses where I'm pretty sure I slept through them and was able to pass them because our papers didn't have to be on the topic of that era. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I do have a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Iowa. I have a Bachelor of Science from Geography. Wait. Bachelor of Science in Geography from the University of Iowa. And we're doing great. Look at us. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us in our field. Um, although you went to grad school, so. Yeah. And now yeah. is working in that field. Which if you need an accountant, Molly is available. It's true. So the growth of... oh. If you need a very fancy venue for your fancy party in Napa, California, Bridget's your girl. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> um, the growth of monetism had Manas important, huh? Mon monet mon monasticism. Yeah, I think that's monasticism. I can Google it. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. Dwelling alone? What? The mode of life pertaining to people living in seclusion? No. No, that... no monarchy. It's basically oh, monarchy. The growth sorry, of monarchy. Yes. That's why I wanted to clarify because that's what I thought you were trying to say, but that's not what you were trying to say. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I just didn't change this word. Because I like to copy and paste motherfuckers. Well, the growth of this monarchy shit with the church uh, would have important implications for later Western values and attitudes. So the dominance of the church during the early Middle Ages was a major reason later scholars, specifically those of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century and the Enlightenment in the 17th century and 18th centuries, branded the period as unenlightened. So when they're trying to separate themselves because everybody's being burned as a witch they're like that's because of all your dealings with the church there should be a separation we should be able to believe in the god that we want to believe in and not the one the pope tells us to believe in uh one particularly influential monk of the early middle ages was benedict of nursia this was between 480 to 543 who founded the great monastery of Monte Cassino, his Benedictine rule, a kind of written constitution of laying out standards for the monastery and congregation and limiting the abbot's authority according to these standards. This spread across Europe, eventually becoming the model for most Western monasteries. Benedict's insistence that idleness is the enemy of the soul and his Rule that monks should do manual as well as intellectual and spiritual labor anticipated the famous Protestant work ethic by centuries. Boo! Boo! Sorry. Well, I mean, I guess it all starts somewhere. Yes, it does. That's why that isn't, wasn't the most recent Pope, the, a Pope Benedict? Oh, wasn't that the German guy? Yeah. Who had to resign because he knew too much about the piddling. Yeah. yeah. That was a bad time. The Nazi youth pope. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't name yourself after a Benedict. Yeah. It's not great. No. What I think you'll like this next point. The early Middle Ages were boom times for agriculture. Do love agriculture. You love agriculture. I do. So before the early Middle Ages, Europe's agriculture was largely limited to the South, where sandy, dry, and loose soil was well suited to the earliest functioning plow known as a scratch plow. But the invention of the heavy plow could turn over much more fertile clay soil deep in the earth and would galvanize the agriculture of Northern Europe by the 10th century. Another key innovation of the period was the horse collar, which was placed around the horse's neck and shoulders to distribute the weight and protect the animal when pulling 
a wagon or plow. Horses proved to be much more powerful and effective than oxen, and the horse collar would revolutionize both agriculture and transportation. The use of metal horses, the use of metal horseshoes <laughs> had become a common practice by 1000 AD as well. Metal horses. <laughs> I know. I was like, what the fuck am I reading? Scientists also believe something called the medieval warm period took place from 900 to 1300, during which the world experienced relatively warm conditions. And this held at least particularly true for the North Hemisphere, extending from Greenland eastward through Europe, combined with the key advances in farming technology and uncommonly good weather appears to have fueled the agriculture boom, agricultural boom of the time. You know, that's why, I think that's why, sorry, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent. You can cut it if you want. I don't care. But that's what- Live your best life, dog. Yeah. That's what appealed to me about geography in a lot of ways is this idea that like we should really be combining our knowledge. Like someone who knows history should be working with someone who knows climate science. Or, or like that's why in geography you start with the scientific basis of the map, but then you apply all the uh, like humanities, like the Nah, sorry, I'm like blanking on every uh, liberal arts degree there is, but like the geography of economy, the geography of uh, God, I really can't think right now, but you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Does this? Yeah, like uh, make sense? the geography of like, or like people's social standings. Yes, yes. All that kind of stuff. Of maybe health. But like. You, you're so much more informed when you combine disciplines, interdisciplinary studies. Like maybe if these historian professors had just talked to some other people in other fields, maybe they wouldn't have come up with dumbass predictions or uh, ideas. Well, you know I mean? we're all biased. Yes, yes. So you'll like this next advancement, which is... In the Islamic world, there were a lot of achievements in science and math. So among more popular myths about the Dark Ages is that the medieval Christian church suppressed natural scientists prohibiting procedures such as autopsies, dissections, and basically halting all scientific progress. Historical evidence doesn't support this idea. Progress may have been slower in Western Europe during the early Middle Ages, but it was steady and it laid out the foundation for future advances later in the medieval period. So I guess that just kind of disproves what I said earlier. Uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> At the same time, the Islamic world leapt ahead in mathematics and sciences, building on the foundation of Greek and other ancient texts translated into Arabic, the Latin translation of the Phidias Book of Calculation by Completion and Balancing by the 9th century Persian astronomer and mathematician Al-Khwarizmi would introduce Europe to algebra, including the first systematic solution of linear and quadratic equations. The Latinized version of Al-Khwarizmi's name gave us the word algorithm. Oh, good oh. God. And we're still suffering from that today. That's fun. And I'm sure you're correct, just to reiterate, like, I'm sure there were people out there doing science, like, even if they had to do it, like, in the back rooms, away from the church's eyes or something, like, people were doing things and making advances, but they were hindered by the church, I'm sure. Well, and they weren't the focus. The focus was like, how do we gain more power and yeah. we're there's a huge war going on with the Byzantine. So right, it's like, right. it's just not, it's going on, but it's not a focus. Yes, yes. Kind of like good art today. <laughs> mm. So to bring it back, my last point is to Charlemagne. So during the time of Charlemagne, there was actually a lot of flowering in arts, literature, architect, and other cultural realms. During his time, 
there were over 50 military campaigns. His forces fought Muslims in Spain, barbarians and Saxons in northern Germany, and Lombards in Italy. This was expanding the Frankish Empire. As a representative of the first Germanic tribe to practice Catholicism, Charlemagne took his duty to spread the faith. In 800, Pope Leo III crowned Charlemagne emperor of the Romans, which which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there was a lot of wars going on. Charlemagne's getting shit done. And then he's also like encouraging people to to have some sort of pride where it's creating a strong centralized state and fostering a rebirth of a Roman style architecture, promoting educational reform and ensuring the preservation of Latin texts. A key advancement of Charlemagne's rule was the introduction of standard handwriting script and innovations like punctuation. Hmm cases and spacing between words Mm. and this revolutionized reading and writing and facilitated the production of books and other documents so there was stuff happening and a lot of it was just like reviving and and sustaining and building an interest back into books and curriculum and could you say i mean maybe this is too uh generous of a idea but like spreading these ideas as well yeah. Mm-hmm. No, because yeah. it's an empire. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's kind of like the Romans fell. Everything is disarray. Everybody's at war with who's in power. Charlemagne takes the reins, and he's, like, replanting the seeds. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. And then yeah. if you don't like the Germans and you're a Romanophile, you're like, okay. nothing happened. Yeah. It's like when the Democrats and Republicans switch parties. <laughs> yeah. Like... It's always like, oh, the last party did nothing. And then the previous party is like, well, actually, you guys did this. And it's just like that cycle. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. So that's my whole thing about the phantom time hypothesis. Yeah, it was um, interesting for sure. But there was a lot of holes for sure. Yeah, it really what really bothers me is this is like floating around on TikTok right now. And, oh, um. <laughs> No one's pointing out that, like, there's a whole other world of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this theory only works if Western Europe is the only civilization at the time, which in the eyes of Westerners, that would be true. If you want to start a sex with ghosts TikTok, you could just clip part of us saying this and then we could put it up there. (laughs) Maybe I should. I mostly am so bad. I'm bad at our social media right now that I've been yeah. like, I don't even want to start a no, TikTok. I don't, but. No, I, I'm so, I am almost done with social media. Like, yeah, completely. I am too. It's such bullshit. And we it sounds like I've that. been talking to younger people and it sounds like they're kind of done with it. Too. Like, it seems like people have like maybe one or two platforms they gravitate to. Yeah. To like yeah. check in or it's not. To get not, something that they want or need, but it's not the same as like when it first came out and we were all like, oh my God, I have to communicate. Right. I can't, I am just like kind of blown away by the idea that we're going back to Facebook, <laughs> but. Oh, really? Because they have a new Twitter app thing, apparently. Oh. So I don't know. I'm not sure. Draw me back in. Yeah, it's very confusing and uh, bad. So see, we are in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for now. Oh gosh, um, Bridget, thank you so much for doing the research on the Middle Ages because that had to be rough. Or uh, the old, well, old timey. You've heard days. me stumble through. <laughs> yes. Um. I mean, it too very clunkily segue into social media handles you you could find us there but it probably would be better if you just emailed us or i mean even dm'd us because then we'll get like a little notification yeah well i mean i don't know i think if you i think always engage with us on social media we do want to talk to you oh yes but yes but don't expect us like to place our content there that's why we have the fucking podcast Mm, good point yes yes um yes yes 
which means uh, we're never going to grow unless you tell your friends. Right. So it's on you. If we're not popular, it's your fault. Tell your friends. Um, people came to, so at Geeklycon, I did do a panel with my spouse and um, Craig was there and a couple of other listeners of Sex with Ghost podcast were there. Shout out if you're listening. Um, and we kind of talked about topics and we brought it to our panel audience, so maybe we'll get a couple listeners. Hello, Ooh, listeners. Hello, new listeners. Hopefully your geekly con, geekly con transportation needs hello. were met better than Molly's. Well, no, because everyone, like, oh, really? days worth of travel. It took days. Are you guys going to change the location? Unfortunately, that's uh, un unknown, but it really would be nice if they did because, well, and part of it was the weather, as I said. But have you ever heard of this thing where airlines cancel flights and then they reschedule you for three days later? No, that seems absurd. It is. I just don't even know. What, what are you supposed to do? How are people supposed to live? I don't know. Yeah, the but, airlines are pretty effed up. Where can you attempt to engage with Bridget on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My accounts are private, but if you hit me up, I'll look at Bridget underscore suck it. Molly, where can people find you? I'm primarily on Instagram at Molly M9, I think is what I should say. I am on Twitter. And how can we find our podcast? At sex with ghosts underscore on Twitter and Instagram. You can also give us a five-star review. That helps get the word out where yep. you get your podcasts. And if you want to show support, further support, you can go to patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. See ya next week. If time is even real. Okay, bye. Uh, bye. bye.